Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Thursday, September 17th. We begin with yesterday's announcement from Ward 11 Councillor Jeremy Farkas that he's running for mayor in next year's civic election. We'll get reaction from political strategist Zane Velji. Are you thinking of renovating a room or two in your home? Which type of renos give you the most bang for your buck when it comes to the overall value of your house? We get some insight from Calgary realtor Justin Haver. Then we look at the troubling details of a new survey which shows that more than half of Albertans are still experiencing COVID-related challenges in their lives when it comes to work and overall household finances. So we speak with a licensed insolvency trustee on the options available to those who are struggling. And finally, we hear details on a virtual fundraiser to help those battling bladder cancer and the personal story of one of the event's organizers who is a bladder cancer survivor. Nine oh nine on the morning news, and yes, yesterday Ward Eleven Councillor Jeremy Farkas announced his intention to run for mayor in the next civic election. Farkas, the first name to enter the conversation, uh, could there be more? Of course, there will. So, with some insight, we're joined by political strategist Zane Valji to give us give us his analysis on the twenty twenty one municipal election and who might uh, be running for the mayor's chair. Good morning to you, Zane. Hey, good morning. How are you guys? Good. Now, Zane, uh, let's uh, talk about uh, Jeremy's announcement and and the timing of it, because what are we now, 13 months out, is it? 13 months out early uh, and necessarily early, right? We're entering a phase of campaigning that's unpredictable. So getting your name out there, despite the fact that he's a counselor, he still has to get his name out there much more broadly than he has right now. He needs to start early. He needs to build the coalition. He needs to figure out how to campaign in a COVID environment, which might be, a, you know, less people at a time than you traditionally want with in-person gatherings now being limited in caps, uh, tooling a digital infrastructure. So there's just so many different changes to how one campaigns that starting early and scaring off other competitors while also learning what the cadence of your digital campaign looks like makes a lot of sense to go early. And I think those are the two factors, learning what the cadence of the campaign is and ensuring that you scare off some of your other uh, competitors who may have wanted to occupy that right of center or right wing space. Okay, I'm interested in that, Zane, because I would have thought that would get people thinking and, and further, you know, throwing their hats into the ring on this one, too, and jumping into the race. So why why does it push people away? When you look at politics, especially at the municipal level, where you're not necessarily wearing a party banner, you're trying to occupy a lane that you feel like you can get uh, a particular path of victory, too. So for Jeremy Farkas, he plays two, he plays a couple of things, right? He's uh, clearly a conservative, has, has lived up to those values and talked about them. He's a council, uh, existing member of council, so he's on the inside, but he also tries to play this, I'm on the outside, I've been isolated on many votes, etc. So he's trying to play that game. So that's his path. What he's trying to do is scare away other people that might want to take that, that right-wing space. Uh, ironically, what to your point, what may end up happening is the more people that enter, the less amount of both raw votes and voter percentage you need to actually become mayor, right? So what the ceiling was a 50-50 race with a two-person race, it now becomes 30-40%. And with more people throwing their hat and saying, well, I've got a little bit of a, a play as a slightly right-of-center candidate who's maybe not on council, and that's my lane to victory, you just keep compounding the factors for someone who's got name recognition, perhaps if the mayor, if he goes again, to, to perhaps then say, okay, the path to victory isn't 45% to win, it's 33%. So 33% of the vote, and you become the mayor. So people are playing these games in their head uh, to simultaneously kind of both edge out 
uh, other contenders who might kick tires while simultaneously seeing that the match game perhaps becomes a little bit more viable in terms of a path to victory. You mentioned the incumbent, Mayor Nahed Nenshi. What, in your opinion, are the chances of him throwing his hat back in the ring? Because I personally would have thought he'd consider, you know, pulling back, but it's been a crazy year. Maybe he thinks he has more to offer, and, uh, you know, maybe he just wants to, to continue on. What are your thoughts? Well, I'll say this as full disclosure. I ran Mayor Netanyahu's campaign in 2017, mm-hmm. and I, I don't have an announcement for the mayor to make, but <laughs> I, will, I will let him do that. Uh, when he does, I mean, if you're looking at the political math right now, you know, the, the assessment I just made does make sense for, for the fact that, you know, if many competitors are throwing their hat in, it does decrease the overall sort of voter count that a, a candidate, whether that's an incumbent or not, would need to would need to jump into the race. Listen, I think this has been quite the tumultuous time. I think people might look towards experience, might look towards someone who's been able to navigate crises. You know, we talk about city emergencies. Mayor Nenshi's dealt with two of them uh, in, in Calgary's 100-plus year history. So there is a case to be made that if he goes again, that the constituency that he's built over the last decade stays with him, and perhaps even the bar lowers in terms of what the pathway to victory looks like. So I wouldn't be surprised either way, but I'll let the mayor kind of make that decision and, and announce it to the public when he does. Well, we have him on tomorrow, Zane, so we're going to ask him that first well, thing. You, you, you can bet on that for sure. We'll there just keep <laughs> asking him until we break him down and the answers. Um, we were talking about this off air, Andrew, and I just curious as to whether, you know, uh, Jeremy Farkas jumping in, who is someone who is obviously very conservative, very to the right, does that, um, you know, entice a Mayor Nenshi to jump back in in hopes that he can, you know, not let voters swing that way, say. I I think it really does depend on who else throws their hat in, right? Uh, If if there are other elements of other uh, candidates who who might be, let's say, left to center or more down the middle that are compelling and perhaps have a compelling narrative. Uh, it also does depend on on if there are other candidates who jump into the race as more right of center ca- uh, contenders. You know, we've heard of Councillor Jyoti Gondak, we've heard of Councillor Davison, both flirting with the idea, mm-hmm. perhaps would both sit on the right of center slash left of center, um, uh, you know, side of the spectrum. So if those choices are palatable to voters, perhaps more than a Jeremy Fargus, you might see other calculations being made to say, okay. You know, this will not be a council that stretches far right, so to speak. Uh, We might have more, you know, reasoned uh, solutions in the middle, uh, some may say. And I think that will perhaps affect the calculus of others who may join. So it's this this massive sort of game of seeing who else is joining, what the pathways to victory are, and and then getting out and figuring out how to exactly campaign in this environment. You mentioned some of the councillor names that have been bandied about, and I don't think anybody would be surprised with the names that you did uh, mention. I'm wondering uh, what the odds are, or if it's a sure thing, that we'll see another outsider. And I don't want to you know, put you to the history test uh, you know, uh, here, Zane. There's no marks for it. But <laughs> with the exception of Mayor Nahed Nenshi, in my, in my memory as a Calgarian, I can't remember another outsider just coming in. They've always been councillors or in the past aldermen. So could we see another outsider giving it a go? There's a possibility. I mean, it really does uh, depend on a few things, right? Number one, what's the political stripe of the outsider? I think that will will certainly affect things. But there's always this competition that voters are having between saying, let's get rid of everyone. You know, the council is ineffective. And what we need is a fresh-faced outsider. And I feel like the calls for that, especially you know, in this time have been increasing a little bit more. So I wouldn't be surprised. And when we talk about outsider, let's be clear, right? They may be an outsider to council, but they may not be an outsider to the political arena. Mm -hmm. So we might have folks that might be tangentially related to politics, may have served in a different order of government, uh, you know, 
certainly might be community builders in their own right. So an outsider to the political arena doesn't mean an outsider to public life. And I think that that character or that profile of a person might be something that you see enter this race, especially if they think that being an outsider lets them run against everyone else who, who might currently be serving on council or, or might hold some level of incumbency. So that's always a calculation that the voters are making. And that's also what, you know, Councillor Farkas is trying to do, which is position himself as someone who's got council experience, but rejects mostly everything that this council has done as he has launched his campaign with. So yeah. I don't know if he's going to be able to walk that tightrope, but I think what he does is speak to that need that he's hearing from people to have some level of of outside thinking, so to speak. Zane, before we let you go on that note, political stripes, you know, does right versus left play more into this race than ever before? Uh, it, it, it can. I mean, we've usually seen that, at least in recent memory, you know, when we look at conventional progressive versus conservative, uh, Calgarians have selected more progressive mayors. They just haven't put stripes mm-hmm. on. Uh, and, you know, we've seen that with Dewar, with Broncani, with Marinenshi, uh last three three mayors that we've had. There's also another factor, if I can quickly mention, which is what the provincial government may do regarding uh, referendum and plebiscite attached to our municipal elections. That will both drive who runs and who shows up to the polls in terms of what might affect left and right. So if we have, for example, an equalization question on the ballot appended to our municipal elections, you can certainly see a, a particular coalition of folks, i.e. perhaps right-wing folks, show up to the polls, which might affect both who runs and decides to run based on that calculus and who thereby shows up based on the referendum question attached to our municipal election. A lot of things to consider yep. and a lot of months ahead of us. Thanks for your time, Zane. Cheers. Thanks so much. That is political strategist Zane Valji. It's 917, helicopter traffic time for West District by Truman. Come visit the largest concrete-built condos in the city. Well, although a lot of your major routes are winding down after the morning commute, a lot of construction is starting up as well around this time. And the big spot is, of course, for the Southwest Ring Road project. So impacting Highway 8, Glenmore Trail, Sarcy Trail up by Richmond Road. The entire area seeing big delays at times. Right now, we are seeing Highway 8 delays around 69th Street with single lane alternating traffic in place. Also want to watch out for a full closure of Richmond Road at 22nd Street through the Southwest. So if you're leaving Bankview or use Richmond Road to access 26th Avenue, expect detours there going right through the weekend and also a collision in the final clearing stages on northbound 52nd street at 130th avenue blocking off the left lane this friday to wednesday visit shoppers drug mart for the bonus redemption event and get more for your points at shoppers drug mart exclusive restrictions apply details in store for the 770 chqr traffic helicopter i'm brady howard We have been spending a lot of time at home as of late, and it's made a lot of us realize that we need to update or upgrade some things in our home. So how much money should we put in and what type of reno will give us the most bang for our buck? For some of the answers, we're turning to realtor Justin Haver with Justin Haver and Associates Remax First. Good morning, Justin. Good morning, Sue and Andrew. Hey, thanks for joining us. Okay, Justin, so we always hear the kitchen. That's the first room you should reno. But which, what would you suggest when it comes to renovating in terms of you know value for your home? You're the guy who knows the best. Well, you know, it's a great question, right? And I think first and foremost, uh, the homeowner should really put into put some thought into why are they making the renovations? Are they making the renovations because they are planning on selling the property or for them to enjoy their home? And if they're looking at enjoying their home for a few years to come, obviously, or even selling the house in the near future, the investment would be 
painting the interior. That's where you typically see about an 80 to 110% return. Wow. Now, if you want to obviously renovate the kitchen, which is probably the best return on investment when it's considering functionality, that's where you will typically see a return on your investment for right around the 75 to 95% mark. So you're not going to get 100% of your money back. So if you are looking at obviously selling your house in the near future, you may want to really put some thought into what you are renovating. But the, the short term, I like what you're saying about the painting, Justin, and I'm surprised. I think Sue's surprised because painting, it doesn't have the same price tag as mm. a kitchen or a bathroom rental. Correct, right? So, I mean, typically to, for the average house to paint the interior, you could spend anywhere from three to $5,000. That's a lot cheaper than Andrew's reno that he's got underway, Justin. I'm let me tell at you it. that. Uh-oh. <laughs> but it does. It's just, you're right. It, it really, it freshens things up and it makes you feel like your home is almost new again if you're living there. But so in terms of if we're thinking of reselling um, or selling and, and, you know, buying new, is if we want to just do sort of some of the basic stuff, would you would you say it's it's really renovate the kitchen and make that your big project or do a few little things around the house? You know, and again, you know, if you're looking at selling the house, I would try to do minimal renovations because you're not going to get 100% of your investment back unless it is paint. So if you are looking at selling a property in the near future, you probably just want to fix all the things that kind of needs repairs just to kind of bring it so it's turnkey. So is there a formula or what do you, what do you look at when you're talking to uh, clients or even friends for that matter, because you are in people's homes 24-7 and you know the value of these things. Is there a year formula? So, for example, if I want to do that thirty, forty, dollars or $50,000 kitchen or bathroom reno or combo, how many years would I, uh, you know, uh, be best to enjoy it before I sell it and uh, not feel like a fool for putting that kind of money in? Oh, you're uh, a pretty, pretty <laughs> a tricky question there. It's like i got to pull out the crystal ball because, you know, there's so many factors that that uh, come into play there because obviously the economy, mm-hmm. the housing market, all those things play a factor on resale value, right? So if you are planning on staying in your home for five to 10 years and you do feel that a kitchen renovation would make the house more enjoyable and you're okay with not getting 100% of your money back, mm-hmm. obviously, depending on what the market is like in five, 10 years down the road, at least you get to enjoy your yeah. home uh, for that time that you're in it. Justin, you know, you said don't drop a whole lot in before you move in some cases, but what? Like, how do you know if your house is dated? You know, we've lived in ours for, I don't know, 14 years now, I guess, and mm-hmm. it was new when we bought it, so we put in all the things that we liked, and we still like them, but maybe if someone else walks in now 14 years later, they're like, oh, that's kind of old school now. Well, I mean, one of the things that you could do is you could reach out, uh, you know, to your real estate professional in the industry, or you could even visit some of the show homes just to see the latest trends. But if you are looking at making any sort of repairs to your home, it might not be a bad idea to get your home pre-inspected by a certified home inspector so you know what the deficiencies are so you Mm. can then address those. Makes sense. What about the slippery slope? And I'm not sure what you think about this because uh, I live in a, a neighborhood that's late 60s down in South Calgary, and, uh, you know, some people do these beautiful rentals and they're living there, but then I see these houses that look like they could use a rental. Somebody comes in, it's for, for sale, comes in, redoes the whole thing to flip it, and it looks gorgeous. I get on the, the MLS website, take a look, and it's priced 150000 200000 more than the regular houses in the neighborhood. Um, so it kind of stands out like a sore thumb. 
do those neighborhoods, and is there a case sometimes of doing so much to your home uh, that it stands out and uh, isn't worth the value of the neighborhood? Is that something we should be concerned about? Yeah, you should definitely, like, I mean, if you're planning to do a renovation uh, for a flip, for instance, uh, you really got to do your homework and make sure that you have a well-planned design and a reasonable time frame. You got to make sure that you have a budget and especially for unforeseen costs and changes to the plan. And uh, you also got to make sure that you obviously have um, all the quotes that you're getting from the professionals, tradespeople that you're hiring in writing. And uh, obviously, there's many factors there. I think a lot of times uh, we uh, get inspired by some of the TV shows that we see <laughs> yeah. out there where people are doing a renovation for $100,000, $200,000, but it adds an extra $100,000 in value. I would highly caution against uh, mm. following those TV shows for advice. But uh, reach out to the professionals in the industry, get professional advice, do your due diligence if you're looking at doing a renovation or a flip. Okay, we got Justin Haver on the phone, so we have to ask you. Uh, state of the market right now, what do you see? Is mm-hmm. it a buyer's market, seller's market? And uh, look into that crystal ball again for us <laughs> and uh, tell us what you can see in the next year or two. <laughs> Jeez, you got to be on the spot. It's early. Uh, we're trying to dupe you. I know, right? You know what? Uh, the market of ours has been very active here in the last few months. And, uh, you know, we had a little bit of a lull here at the start of the school year. Obviously, parents are... Mm-hmm are uh, busy getting the kids back in school, but also I feel that they're pretty relieved. Uh, the market is really fueled by some really low interest rates right now. Like some people are getting five-year fixed uh, mortgage at 1.74%, oh, wow. which is unheard of. Free. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very, very uh, attractive. So that is, uh, you know, fueling a lot of the new home buyers getting into the marketplace. And uh, we're seeing a lot of activity in the single family sector under 600,000 that continues to remain uh, very strong. There is a little bit of uh, downward pressure on condominiums and that could be also due to the pandemic that we're in with people not wanting to live in a highly condensed uh, area or building because of the virus. But aside from that, you know, uh, we're resilient here in the marketplace and, uh, you know, people continue to buy and sell based on circumstances and needs. Justin, if you could sort of say one thing that might be, uh, you know, obviously any property is going to be a good investment, but is I guess I think when we've spoken to you before or recently, you talked about how some of the more expensive homes have sort of come down in price, and that might be where people could move towards if, if they have the money at this point. Yeah, you know what, there's definitely uh, a lot of opportunities for those people that are and able to uh, move up in the marketplace, right? Because there's more downward pressure on the higher priced properties. Although, you know, we are still seeing uh, some movement there. So that's uh, very promising as well. But yeah, there's definitely, if you're selling in, you know, the four to $600,000 price range and moving up to the 700 plus, there's probably bigger upside when the market and the economy turns around. And I guess you could say, uh, well, one uh, last 15-second uh, analysis here. <laughs> when we're, uh, you know, as uh, kicked as we have been and, and down, it looks like it's there's nowhere but up. It's just a matter of when, right? Yeah, and I mean, you know, we uh, we obviously need the economy to... Uh to motor along and uh, you know with our city sitting with about 15 percent unemployment we need people to get back to work and once people are working uh, you know they will probably be looking at making some moves because there are some great opportunities out there along with some pretty incredible low interest rates always love your perspective thanks for joining us justin 
Thanks for having me. Have a wonderful day. You too. That's Justin Haver with Justin Haver and Associates Remax First. JustinHaver.com. 617, time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. A mix of unique single-family homes, townhomes, and condos. Slowdowns continue on the Trans-Canada Highway just west of Valley Ridge Boulevard out to Old Bev Coach Road with those speed restrictions in place for construction. Eastbound lanes of 16th Avenue running problem-free from COP out to Crow Child and through the southwest of Collision 26th Avenue and 26th Street. Introducing Be Well. This Friday to Sunday, load your offer to get $20 back in Be Well points for spending $50 at Rexall. Details at rexall.ca. For, for the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Freddie Howard. A new survey released yesterday shows more than half of Albertans are still experiencing COVID-19 related disruptions to either their own work situation or someone else in their household. To discuss, we're joined this morning by Calgary-based licensed insolvency trustee Donna Carson. Good morning, Donna. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. That's a, that's a pretty significant stat. So what kind of disruptions are we talking about here? In Alberta, it's mostly, I think people are saying that they are still working less or working for reduced pay as compared to some of their uh, counterparts across Canada. The, unfortunately, the number of people in Alberta who said they're still working less is a little bit higher still than it is across the rest of the country. But yeah, that um, half of Albertans that are still experiencing those disruptions, it's it's. 45% as well across the country. So it's big numbers. Still, yeah, big numbers, yeah. And even when it comes to reduced hours, you have some numbers out uh, for that as well when it comes to Albertans. Uh, this would have an impact on any family, I would think. Yeah, COVID or no COVID, uh, having uh, reduced pay. And, and in Alberta, I would say a lot of the people that we were meeting with before COVID, they already were talking about reduced hours, um, you know, particularly if you're working in the oil field or any type of related service that you were working reduced hours already, uh, a lot of people at that stage. And this just threw another loop into it, as we know. Uh, so in Alberta and Saskatchewan, the oil provinces, we were already seeing that before COVID. And with that information, people, Canadians, Albertans, specifically taking on more and more debt. This survey showing two in ten say they'll use their line of credit. Others say they'll borrow from friends. Boy, taking out bank loans. So uh, what does that make you feel as a licensed insolvency person? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously we we have talked about it. And what is insolvency um, going to look like once these SERB benefits um, end? in the next month or so, uh, or people go on EI and it's not quite as much as the CERB was and the courthouses are starting to open again because uh, you know, some collection actions have been stopped during the pandemic, but some things are starting to to roll out again. And so what is insolvency going to look like? And we've kind of thought that it is going to be a bit busier. I know that before COVID, uh, the insolvency numbers in Alberta were quite high as compared to last year or even the last economic downturn they were quite high so we know people had debt that they were figuring out how to deal with before covid and that debt hasn't magically gone away it's just been um delayed in having to pay it or having it being collected right now so uh we do suspect that it's going to be busier unfortunately once some of these benefits end and Donnie, when you mentioned the CERB coming to a close and these mortgage deferrals finally 
uh, coming home to roost when you actually have to pay your mortgage. This isn't something that'll happen the day after these programs end. This this could be months and months down the line, couldn't it? Yeah, most of the people that we meet with, it's not something that happened yesterday and they come in to see us today. It's been a slow accumulation over years for a lot of people. It's just been a slow accumulation. And now, you know, before before COVID, I was able to service that debt. Uh, but now if I go back to work and my hours aren't quite as much as they were, how am I going to service it quite the same? And that's where the survey was saying, you know, 21%, I think, of people were talking about, you know, I may have to use some credit cards and payday loans when those typically come with fairly high interest rates. Um, so I know interest rates are, are low right now, but um, not typically on those types of products. So if people are, you know, in financial troubles, they're, they're looking forward, they just really aren't seeing an end in sight. What's your best advice, Donna? My best advice always is to write it down. I can't tell you how many people we talk to that just don't have the full picture of what does it look like right now? Um, who is it I owe money to? What does my budget look like right now? Because we can't go forward if we don't know where we're at today. So that's always the first thing. And then the second thing, yes, is to talk to a licensed professional, whether it's a licensed insolvency trustee or a credit counselor, um, you know, get some advice because that is what we do for a living is go over those different options versus uh, sitting at home and wondering what would it look like if um, that's probably my two best uh, important tips to give. Good stuff. It's a tough time for everybody, so yeah. we appreciate your insight, Donna. No problem. Um, on a good note, I would say, you know, at least the uh, Stats Canada also had a recent survey where the debt-to-income ratio is the lowest I've seen for a long time, and savings were up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that relates to people just not having spent as much yeah. uh, lately during this, so True. I think that's a good sign. For sure. All over the place, different time for sure. Thanks, Donna. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're very welcome. That is Donna Carson, Calgary-based licensed insolvency trustee. 817, time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman, Calgary's last and best master-planned community inside the Stony Trail Ring Road. Oh, we've got a few issues going on right now. If you're leaving McKenzie Town or New Brighton, there's a collision northbound 52nd Street at 130th Avenue, blocking off the left lane, causing delays of a couple of minutes. Also have a collision further north on 52nd Street. This one's at 4th Avenue Northeast, also blocking off the left lane. And downtown, watch for a collision impacting the intersection of Center Street and 5th Avenue. We've also got construction impacting the drive on Eastbound 9th Avenue downtown and McLeod Trail with two right lanes shut down. Ford employee pricing ends September 30th, but there's still time to pay what a Ford of Canada employee pays on most new 2020 Ford models. Visit your Alberta Ford dealer up in the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter. I'm Brady Howard. 6.49 now on your Thursday morning and this year like many other events participants in the Bladder Cancer Canada Awareness Walk can walk when and where they want anytime during the month of September so to talk about this great fundraiser we're joined this morning by Ferg Devins who is the chair of Bladder Cancer Canada's board of directors and a bladder cancer survivor thanks for joining us Ferg Good morning, Sue and Andrew. Thanks for having me on. This is great. I think, you know, so many charities have had to pivot this way and make it available to folks to still be able to participate and raise the money, but do it at their own speed and in their COVID-friendly environment. So talk to us about what you're doing with this walk. 
Well, there was a great debate back in March about whether we try to stage our walks. We've had a fantastic walk in Calgary for so many years. And staff just said, look, we've got to go virtual. We want to make this walk happen. And thank goodness that we did. So we're walking where you are. So we're encouraging people to register at bccwalk.ca. Our Calgary committee has been working hard at raising awareness and getting people to participate. And uh, that's the deal. It's uh, it's walk where you are. That could be along the bow. That could be in your basement on a treadmill for Love that it. matter. Let's talk about how many Canadians are affected by bladder cancer. And I understand you have a, a personal connection as well. Yes, we've got 80,000 patients across the country. There'll probably be close to 12,000 that will be diagnosed this year. And I'm a survivor myself. I was diagnosed back in 2014. I saved my bladder. I had two tumors that were removed. And uh, then I underwent uh, treatments with a, a immunotherapy called BCG. That was for about two years. And I'm glad to say I'm a survivor and I'm thriving today. All clear. Well, we love to hear that. And Ferg, you know, what you say next could change somebody's life. So what was it? How did you find out that you had bladder cancer? Were there symptoms we should be aware of? Well, my story was a little different, but one of the most common symptoms is blood in the urine. So our awareness campaign is all about see red, see your doctor. And I mean once. If you see blood in your urine, don't think it may go away. You get to your doctor, you get to a urologist, and you get checked for bladder cancer. That's an early warning sign. If you see red, you see your doctor. And just to underscore, uh, Ferg, like a lot of uh, you know athletics when it comes to walks and runs, you don't have to be an athlete to yeah. take part, right? Absolutely. I'm, I'm proof of that. <laughs> <laughs> As are most of us, Ferg. We feel you on that one. So how do you get involved? Is there a cost to it? No, there is no cost. You register at bccwalk.ca. It was set up originally as an awareness walk, but this walk raises the majority of our funds each year. We'll raise $600,000 the last three years, each of those years. So that's our goal this year. So we really need people to register at bccwalk.ca. Register and donate there. The other thing I'd say is if you want more information about bladder cancer, our core website is bladdercancercanada.org. And we've got lots of resources there, patient support, uh, as well as awareness. And we've got discussion forums on that site as well. So lots of information on bladder cancer. Thanks so much for all the info. We're directing people to bccwalk.ca. Thanks, Ferg. Thanks, Sue and Andrew. Wishing you well. Thank you. Thank you. That is Ferg Devins, Chair of Bladder Cancer Canada's Board of Directors and Bladder Cancer Survivor.